I hope you use adventure. Adventure. I'm oh, waiting for that. I did not. <laughs> okay, now, right, where can I fit that in? Where can I fit that in? <laughs> well, we're not even in Advent yet. There's still no, lots of there's... episodes <laughs> yes. of opportunities. Oh, oh. Adventure. Oh my gosh. Welcome back to the Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 115. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are talking about preparing for Advent and the Christmas season. It is mid-November and the upcoming holiday season is looming on the horizon. Deep down, we know that in order to enjoy the fruits of our labor come December 25th, we need to first labor. Preparation is key. What we may not always realize is that even preparation requires a little bit of preparation, and the time to start rolling up our sleeves is now. But first, this podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. How about you? Do you want more from The Modern Lady? Become a Patreon supporter, and for just $5 a month, you will have access to extra content. Find us by going to patreon.com forward slash the modern lady podcast. You can also support the show by giving us a rating and review on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your reviews, especially on iTunes, can really help others who might be interested find our podcast too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to listener LKBML6, who commented on Podbean and said, quote, love your podcast, so uplifting and encouraging. God bless you guys and your families. Thank you. End quote. Well, thank you so much, dear listener, for leaving us your review on Podbean. It meant so much to us to hear from you. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our modern lady tip of the week. Bay leaves. What? Yep, bay leaves. You know, those dried leaves that you add to soups or meat or perhaps rice. But if you're like me, you probably have no idea what they actually are and what their purpose is. I stumbled across a Facebook post all about bay leaves, and it made a lot of pretty wild claims about the benefits. So I thought this was worth looking into. So what are bay leaves exactly? Well, apparently there are many types of plants which have leaves referred to as bay leaves, but the true version is technically called Loris nobilis. The tree is native to the Mediterranean region, and while other leaves can look and smell like bay leaves, they don't have the same nutritional benefits. Bay leaves can be ground into a powder and added to a spice blend, but more often than not, we add them whole to a dish while it's cooking and remove them before serving the dish. One of the purported medical benefits is that they can help alleviate symptoms related to gastrointestinal discomfort like bloating, gas, and constipation. Another medical claim is that they have strong antibacterial properties, and when the essential oil is extracted, they can help with respiratory conditions, especially when made into a poultice and spread on the chest and left overnight. There is another claim that they can help with dandruff and scalp issues. It is suggested that you steep the leaves in water and then rub them on your scalp. Both caffeic acid and rutin are compounds found in bay leaves, and it is said that both of these contribute to heart health and assist in removing bad cholesterol from the cardiovascular system. There are a lot of other purported benefits, but we will end with this one. Bay leaves, along with thyme and basil, share a compound called linalool, which is said to help calm anxiety and stress when used in aromatherapy. So if you are preparing a brine for your turkey this year and dropping bay leaves into it, take a moment and consider the mighty power of this tiny leaf. Hmm. I had not even a clue about these <laughs> medical benefits of bay leaves. <laughs> it really was. Yeah, it was just for flavor yes. before. But now and I'm, I'm like, like, what is the flavor? That's something I yeah. should have researched too because I'm like, I don't think I can actually identify and be like, oh, yeah, that was a good bay leaf in that brine. It's true. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it may have been one of those things 
that people would add for medicinal purposes,、mm-hmm. and then they stumbled across the flavoring afterwards. But we just we just kind of took to the flavor aspect of it. That would be really interesting to research. You could deck the halls, but first you need to gather something with which to deck. The stockings may be hung by the chimney with care, but someone had to first make or get said stockings. And roasting chestnuts on an open fire sounds lovely, but those chestnuts don't just magically appear. And by the way, who is chopping that wood and setting that delightful roaring fire? Today, preparedness is the name of the game, and we're taking it. Even a further step back in considering what we need to do now in order to prepare well in the coming weeks, right, Lindsay? Yes. So this episode started out kind of small. Like I was just doing my regular pre-advent cleanup on Instagram, right? And you and I were、mm-hmm. talking about how beneficial that was for us. And then we realized there's just so much more to talk about with this, like. Prep before the Christmas season even starts are preparing to prepare, and then I threw it to social media, and man, the ladies came through with their stories of their hardworking grandmothers and like what everybody does in their homes to prepare, and we just thought this was awesome. Now we did an episode last year, and I think it's one of our most popular episodes. It was our Advent Spectacular. Yes,、um, it was always from November of 2019, and we、mm-hmm. looked in that episode at many different traditions and customs and things from Advent from around the world and throughout history. But this one, this one, we really want to break down this act of preparing before the season starts, so that we can try to be as stress-free as possible.、Mm-hmm. I feel like we all. Really desire this,、mm-hmm. right? Like it's a conversation that comes up every year without fail.、Yeah. So it is something that we all really want is to enter Advent already feeling maybe even at least that we've started to prepare. <laughs> yes, and that we're not caught off guard even by Advent. And so, yeah, I know for me the. We have a lot of birthdays this time of year,、mm-hmm. so I'm still really working on this myself. I feel like the season kind of bleeds into Advent, which then Christmas just comes up really, really fast. And so I'm, I'm so excited to get into this episode because I feel like I even have such、um, improvements that I could make in order to really be able to, I don't know, enter into the season. Uh, and take from it everything that it has to offer us, because ultimately Advent is for our benefit. Oh, absolutely! And we are all about reducing stress around here on this podcast, but、mm-hmm. we're also about working really hard, joyfully doing our duties, and living out our vocations. But doing those things with as little stress as possible—is that a tall order? Well, I don't think we think so. <laughs> we think though that it doesn't just happen, right? Um, yeah. Getting a huge to-do list done, serving our families while homeschooling or working outside of the home, while enduring the craziness of a worldwide pandemic, and now supply chain shortages—well, it、yeah. isn't for the faint of heart. But again, I think I can speak for both of us, Michelle, when I say that we love a good challenge, and、yes. we feel confident that we can do the hard things. But we need a solid plan and a lot of inspiration. Hmm. Yes, and that's another thing that we really love to both provide and glean from one another and all our listeners is that is that motivation, right? When you do、yes. it in community, it somehow takes like a large percentage of what feels like work off. Yes. And so, yeah, this is really this is one of the motivation episodes. I feel like. One of the things we always try to do in all of our episodes, and we don't always come right out and say it, but we ask ourselves, "Why does this matter?" Right? Like, why、mm. does it matter that we prepare to prepare for this season? And when I was thinking about Advent and the Christmas season, there are two themes that I see over and over again, and this is true across history and around the world, and regardless of faith tradition. And the two themes are light over darkness and slowing down. Now we know that prior to and outside of Christianity, festivals have long happened during the long dark winter months in an effort to well cheer people up. We know that by bringing greenery inside of the house, we can have a hope for spring. That's the whole point of bringing greenery in. It smells good, but it also reminds us that the green will return. 
we know that we can find ways to fight the inevitable slip into depression that many of us feel during the winter. And this is 2021. We can't even imagine how long and dark and cold the winter was throughout almost all of human history. So what do humans do? They bring light. They build fires and light candles. They turn on lamps and put Christmas lights on their houses. And I find it so interesting that even in a world awash with electric light, we haven't vanquished the darkness because the truth is the darkness isn't just physical. Flicking on a light switch doesn't just drive away the feelings that winter can bring. Yeah, it is interesting to think about how this theme of light overcoming darkness and how it coincides with the long dark months, how it coincides with like a season of lights. Our our desire for lights hasn't diminished mm-hmm. <laughs> over the years either, right? And you see this even right now, the rise of certain trends and everything, yeah. the fe- all the festivals of lights. Yes. Um, you, Your family just went to, what was it, the Enchanted Forest display, mm-hmm. which was local to our area where they bedecked a local park and all these lights and displays and everything. We love candles. We still light candles, even though they may not be as necessary as they were in the yeah. past. And so humans are still always drawn to the light. And when it gets darker, it doesn't mean that we just forget about light. It means that we work more intentionally and harder to seek it out. And I find that to be such an interesting parallel to what the Christmas season is calling us to do even inwardly and spiritually. Absolutely. And now the second thing is more relevant to our current lifestyles. And this is this desire that you've been talking about. I've been talking about to slow down time. Mm -hmm. Yet very few people seem to be able to manage that. Um, Advent harkens back to a time when we still had time. And Michelle, I don't know if you reviewed Maria von Trapp's book um, in preparation Mm. for this, but I turned again to her book around the year and she Mm -hmm. talks about this new hurried life, pointing out that we have created all of these time saving measures yet have less time than ever before. She wrote, and I quote, this hurry up, this let's go atmosphere does not provide the necessary leisure in which to anticipate and celebrate a feast. But as soon as people stop celebrating, they really do not live anymore. They are being lived, as it were, end quote. We need to Mm. slow down and thoughtfully prepare for Christmas as it is truly one of the greatest feasts of the year and one that should be properly prepared for so that everyone can thoroughly enjoy themselves, especially you. I love that, that line being lived. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be lived. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I can see that. And I can definitely see how adequate preparation will help you to do that. Because I think part of that harriedness that comes with the Christmas season comes with the franticness of yes. trying to fit too much in into too short of a time right? Um, That lack of time that Maria von Trapp is talking about. But what did they have then, back then, that we don't have now? Mm -hmm. We certainly have those time-saving measures, but it must have been a keener sense of what needed to be done and the amount of time that it would take. So they'd start at a at more appropriate times. Yes. This is what I'm, this is really what I'm gathering from both her quote and kind of what we're alluding to with this episode. So in an effort for us to understand kind of what needs to be done and how much time it's going to take, we thought we would break down our preparing to prepare tasks into three different areas. So we looked at the home, we looked at being a hostess, because that often happens during the season, and we looked at holiness, because that is the foundation for this season. So when we first look at the home, I think it's pretty obvious that well, I especially love having a very clean and organized house because <laughs> mm-hmm. that's like kind of what started this, you know, whole project of yes. the pre-advent <laughs> deep clean. So I love having it. Now, this started when I was a kid because my mom would make us deep clean our bedrooms and purge unused toys and ill-fitting clothing um, before we got our new stuff in for Christmas. Um, I personally can't imagine adding more items to my very small house without making mm-hmm. sure there's already a place for them. So I do a big pre-advent cleanup and I work really, really hard for a couple of weeks before Advent starts 
so that I can have it really pared down, ready, and just the house feeling like it's ready for this big feast. And mm-hmm. while it's really hard, I can say with 100% certainty that it's always worth it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we were talking about this the other day, right? About mm-hmm. the reason why you would declutter your space before receiving gifts is, you know, it helps a lot when you're buying gifts, especially for your own house, the your own people in your own house. If you can already envision where it's going. Yes. <laughs> right? And, and so then that takes a bit of organization and a little bit of planning in advance. And there was another interesting piece of advice I came across while looking into decluttering for the holidays. And that was to declutter your expectations while you were going through this process. I know. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I thought, you know what? It's right. It's true. A lot of stress from the holidays, it comes from being cluttered with either what we expect from or for ourselves over the holidays or what other people are expecting from us too, what we expect from them. And so the website, thesimplicityhabit.com, suggests that at this point, we really decide what our priorities are going to be going into the holiday season. And to make sure that we leave margins and empty spaces uh, around those things to help us to be able to relax a little bit more. So I thought that was great. You can take it in a tangible or an intangible kind of a way, like as we're decluttering our house and anticipating making room for potentially some more things coming in, we're also doing the same thing for what we're expecting going into the season and kind of ridding ourselves with um, either traditions or tasks or obligations that maybe don't quite fit anymore, or maybe they don't need to be there anymore, or they could be done a different way in order to also kind of empty or declutter our minds. Oh, I think that's such a great point. And when when I turned it to social media and asked everybody what they think, so many mm-hmm. people said it always started with a list. They some of them make their lists oh, yes. starting in September, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And that's it's that kind of work that when you plan it all out and you put pen to paper. I'm a pen to paper girl, right? I don't, I don't yes, even know how to same. make charts on a computer. Me too. Um, <laughs> so pen to paper, and when you start to do that list, like what you're saying, you can kind of do that deeper work of asking mm-hmm. yourself not just yeah, what physical physical tasks need to be done, what groceries need to be bought, um, you know, new towels for the powder room, that kind of thing. But like you're saying, like, what doesn't need to be done? What can we let go of? Like, but sometimes you can't even start that process until you sit down with pen to paper and start planning it out. Mm -hmm. And that's precisely what we're talking about here. This is the act of preparing before you're actually doing the work. So a great first step is that pen to paper and writing out those lists. One of our Mm -hmm. listeners, her name is Kelly. She wrote to me on Instagram. She prints out just a basic December calendar, just one page from her computer. And this is separate from her home calendar because she wants to write secret things on that calendar that her kids might maybe shouldn't see or, you know, other little surprises and stuff. So Mm. she just simply prints out a very basic one, gets her pens out and writes all over that calendar. And she pretty much has every day filled. But she said she has to also work on detachment. (laughs) (laughs) Like our episode last week about understanding, again, like margins, like you were saying that some things are going to change that we can't Mm -hmm. hold too tight, (laughs) again, to those expectations of the season. But this very act of planning before you start any of the work, sitting down and making those lists, I think is a really important key to success with all of this preparation. Mm-hmm. And I have list making in my in my notes too. And um, it reminds me of a really interesting thing I learned a while ago, but I had to look it up again because I forgot the name. There's this thing called the, here's my German, I think, or Lithuanian, <laughs> the, the Zygarnik, Zygarnik effect. <laughs> and it's a psychological term. Um, it was named after a, a Lithuanian psychologist who discovered the phenomenon that we remember the tasks that we need to do, but we forget the ones we've already done. This mm. is a, a phenomenon that we all have. She found this by studying waiters who could remember in high detail the customers who still needed to pay their bills. But once the bill was paid, the waiters could not remember any detail whatsoever about the order. So in our lives, it could be the cause of, you know, those days where you go to bed and you think you haven't even done anything, but you haven't stopped moving. 
Mm-hmm. And you can't figure out what exactly you've done. I think that's where this comes in. And so I was relating this back to these holiday to-do lists. And one of the ways that I thought, you know what, maybe filling out a to-do list will help ease our sense of overwhelm is by showing us that we actually have accomplished things and that we have actually finished holiday tasks and we are making progress. Okay, so I read a post on tidymom.net and she said, do you know what totally ruins my chill and holiday spirit? A messy house. And she said, I've said it before and I'll say it again, clean feels good. And of course, I totally agree. She went on to talk about tidying versus cleaning and how the first step is always tidying and that your house immediately feels cleaner, even if you haven't technically cleaned, right? We know this. Mm. And so she advises just grabbing an empty laundry basket and walking through your house and picking everything up and then spending the time putting those things in their homes. Now, if you're listening going, but Lindsay, everything doesn't have a home in in my house. That should be then an indicator about a plan that maybe you'll take on for the rest of your, the year, right? And really step back and go, okay, why don't these things have a home? Do we ha- do we just not need them? Do we not use them? Should we pass them along to somebody who will? Or oh, is it time I do a really deep clean and find homes for all of these items? This kind of process of doing the physical act of the cleaning really should spark that internal discussion about your home in general. We talk all the time about getting to know your home on an intimate basis. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's this, right? It's it's this outward act of doing the tidying and the cleaning, but then this thing of going, okay, what does this mean? Why do we have all of this? I feel really feel that that helps us grow in this skill of being a homemaker. And we can use this as an opportunity, this deep clean, this this chance to go through the house and kind of take inventory of what we have and what we're going to buy for Christmas as a chance to really evaluate going into the next year, what changes we want to make. Mm-hmm. I guess it's kind of like thinking that if something is that important to you and your family's life, it deserves its own place. Yes. Yes. Right. And if you think about it in that way, that also can really help shape uh, our perspective on how important that object really is then. Because another thought also about decluttering and maybe getting rid of the things that you don't need anymore is that someone else could possibly use it as well, Mm -hmm. right? So to be able to make your home simultaneously as efficient and as clean and orderly as you can for your own family's benefit, then it could also be an act of charity to really let go of the things you're holding on to. And so there was just one other point that I think may help people with decluttering because it helped me too. As we're preparing our homes for what may be coming in, I really do think thinking about what's going out bears uh, just one final note. So there's this quote by St. Basil, uh, St. Basil the Great, and he says that the bread which you hold back belongs to the hungry. The coat which you guard in your locked storage chests belongs to the naked. The footwear moldering in your closet belongs to those without shoes. The silver that you keep hidden in a safe place belongs to the one in need. End quote. And so I think that's a really good litmus test as we're decluttering and purging our items and then consequently being able to set the tone really intentionally in our own houses for the upcoming holiday season is a mind inward and a mind outward. And so in that way, we can also prepare our spirits for the um, the almsgiving aspect of Advent and the upcoming Christmas season. And Michelle, what I love about that is that's something we can bring our kids in on, right? It's really hard Mm. the rest of the year to get them involved in wanting to get rid of old toys. But I find (laughs) that this is the time because the promise Mm -hmm. of new things coming in. And so this beautiful chance to have a talk with them about charity and about people in need, um, that we can really bring the kids in on getting their bedrooms ready and and going through their stuff. Mm -hmm. The other major space in a house that I think needs a lot of our attention. And if you can't do anywhere else, really work on the kitchen. I just think that if we're going to be cooking beautiful meals and doing all of our baking, um, it's just not only is it going to run more smoothly when you've done a proper inventory of what you have, what you need, where your recipes are, making sure everything's in good working order. 
It's also mm. just frankly more enjoyable, right? To cook and yes. to bake in a really nice kitchen and a clean kitchen. You put on the Christmas music and it becomes a celebration unto itself, just the very act of preparing these foods. So if there is a spot in your house, if you really think I can't do the whole house, I can't declutter everything. Mm. Um, it's just too much for me right now. I would really suggest your kitchen area and perhaps your dining area to really make sure you have all of your tools and everything ready to go and the things that you'll use for hostessing. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. A lot of the life often happens in the kitchen as well, yes. right? Yeah. So if you're looking for a place to get the most impact. <laughs> bang for your um, buck. <laughs> yeah, the most bang for your buck. It would be the kitchen to start. And then, yeah, for sure. Like if there can only be one space, I, I've had years like that too. Mm -hmm. um, then, then the kitchen makes total sense. Yeah. Okay, so another huge aspect of the Christmas season is hostessing, right? Having people mm -hmm. in your house. And so when I asked our friends on social media, again, to share how they prepare to prepare, <laughs> mm -hmm. much of the conversation revolved around cooking and baking. And I thought that was awesome. So Michelle, your lovely sister-in-law, Monica, shared that mm -hmm. she starts her Christmas planning in September. And by October, she is planning out what she's going to bake and getting everything ready for when she does her actual baking in November. But mm -hmm. what I love about what Monica wrote and what she's been doing for a while is that this year she's a new mama, right? You have a new niece. Yes. And yep. um, if she's now a first time mama, but she's already spent a couple of years establishing this routine, this order, there's a higher likelihood she'll be able to maintain it, even though she has this brand new baby this year. And mm -hmm. so I just love that she said all of this pre-planning helps with her sanity. And, and if that was the case before the baby, I think that will yeah. be even more <laughs> of the case now. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. Monica's awesome at that like she she's a she's first of all such a huge blessing to our family but also like just a real inspiration in that regard too um I remember talking to her in late October and saying to her I'm like I'm going to start Christmas shopping early this year because mm -hmm. I don't want to be caught off guard and she's like yes do it I just finished last week and I'm like <laughs> what <laughs> so I aspire to level up to my sister-in-law. <laughs> Another friend, and her name is also Michelle, um, talked oh. about how her grandmother used to order those Christmas hampers. And so a lot of the items mm. that, you know, it's really good to have on hand when you have company popping by, a lot of those things are included in these Christmas hampers. And there was a, a company and it's still around, but they had a really aggressive marketing campaign throughout the 1990s um, called Crisco Christmas Hampers. And I yes. wanted one so badly. I would yes. watch like the 10 minute long commercial with all the delectable foods and I'd beg my mom to order one and she never did. But I just Googled it because I'm like, are these ones still around? And yeah, Michelle, Crisco Christmas <gasps> Hampers are still around. And I want to let you know that you can order their 10 kilogram colossal Christmas hamper <gasps> for under $30 a week and you pay it throughout the year, but you oh get $1,300 worth of food delivered to your front door just before Christmas. And <gasps> if the colossal Christmas isn't really the one you're looking for, there's also the turkey tempter packages. Okay. <laughs> and one of the turkey tempter packages comes with a turducken option. So they've really got you covered <gasps> no. over at Christmas, um, Crisco. Crisco, yeah, Christmas hampers. <laughs> a Crisco Christmas. Yeah, try saying <laughs> <For> that. everybody. <laughs> oh, that sounds awesome. And you know what? With food preparation, that really got me thinking because I was thinking about um, medieval times, mm -hmm. like when they would not have had you know, supply chains or retail. They couldn't just go out and buy stuff, right? Yes. Um, if they wanted to eat something, they'd often have to prepare it way, way in advance. Mm -hmm. So um, I was reading that in the 13th century in England, that boar's head was mm -hmm. considered a Christmas delicacy. Yum. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, I can't wait for my Christmas boar's head. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that goose was also the staple. But if you wanted the boar's head for September 25th, I was thinking, I'm like, well, you'd have to like have a boar, I guess, <laughs> which means you'd have to raise one right. um, or someone else would have to raise one for you. And this reminded me of a video on YouTube, the YouTube channel Made with Lao, which is a family sharing their Chinese cooking heritage. And the father was explaining to his family that chicken was so rare for them. They may had 
they may have had chicken once a year. And it was because if they wanted chicken at like New Year's, they had to raise the chicken first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, they already had to prepare for the dinner by actually hatching the chicken, raising it, and then butchering it and killing it a year later. So, uh, I mean, that's just meat. But even other things that they would have had, cheese would have had to age. Wine and ale would have had to, had to have time to ferment. Like, historically, holiday prep would have had to begin very, very early bef- in advance of the season itself. Absolutely. Have you ever heard the Boar's Head Christmas Carol? No. Okay, so there's a (laughs) medieval, it's called the Boar's Head Carol. (laughs) So I would love it if you can fade out at the end with a bit of the Boar's Head Christmas Carol. (laughs) Yes. Stay tuned after the episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so while we're talking about edible birds, I was wondering when the turkey became popular and it was first mentioned as a Christmas meal option in 1526. Before that, aside, if you wanted something other than boar's head, you could have swan or peacock, which is disgusting. I can't. (laughs) And apparently (laughs) I'm not the only one who was disgusted. No one really liked them. So when they tasted a Mm. turkey, they were like, hello, (laughs) this is the (laughs) clear winner in the taste category. So turkeys really took off. But Mm. let's go back to the goose because, yeah, goose has traditionally been like the, the average family, working class family, not the poor but like your middle class family would have a goose now the Mm. thing with the goose is it would cost about 10 shillings now your average worker and we're going to use mr bob cratchit from dickens a christmas carol Mm. as Mm -hmm. your typical middle class family man bob cratchit would have made about 15 shillings a week and so when you think about what almost your entire week's earnings going on just the meat for your Christmas dinner, it really puts things into perspective. Mm -hmm. So for people in Victorian England, they could join a goose club. Now, goose is eaten usually only twice a year. In the spring when they're young, they're very tasty. And then when they get nice and fat leading up until, Mm -hmm. um, you know, late September, Michaelmas, right? We usually do a a roasted goose for that feast and then leading up till Christmas. Now, if you didn't have just readily available a week's worth of money to spend on your goose, you would join a goose club and they were run by the local pubs or bakeries and you would pay a shilling a week for 10 weeks and then you would pick up your goose. And as a bonus, you would often get some gin, a bottle of gin with your goose. And I am a happy camper. (laughs) I'm like, a goose and some gin? I'm here for this. Um, And then as an additional service, the pub would usually offer to roast your goose for you too because that's a ton of work right and having all of the things you would need to do it so um this idea of layaway for your christmas meal we joked about it with the crisco hampers now but it didn't start now like this idea of putting aside money like you said and all of this prep to enjoy your feasting and and when we consider the 12 days of feasting that they did at the height Mm. of christmas uh Mm -hmm. yeah the average family couldn't do that without a ton of planning Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a really good point. That Crisco was not the <laughs> was not the founder of this idea of layaway Christmas funding. Mm-hmm. Um, the Goose Club. That's awesome. I want that. I want someone to cook my Christmas goose and then give me a bottle of gin and send me home. Right? <laughs> sounds perfect. That sounds amazing. Yep. So one of the things we actually did in advance in preparation for Christmas, and when I say we, I mean my husband, Phil, because he's been getting into brewing this year. So this is really his hobby. (laughs) But we just finished bottling our very first supply of homemade eggnog because it needs that amount of time. We've added alcohol into it, but Mm -hmm. eggnog is, it's raw, right? And so it needed a specific amount of time at the very least to sit sealed so that the bacteria was then, I don't know, what did we say? It would cook or the, it, the alcohol would kill all the bacteria. Right. Is that pasteurization? We don't something know. Happens. We're not a science podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're all history, but something happens in those mm-hmm. bottles between now and Christmas. It <laughs> makes it not kill you. <laughs> That's going to make it okay for me to drink it on yes. December 25th. And drink it I will. I have no problems with that being the guinea pig. But it just, you know, it kind of really put me in that frame of mind already, though, because it was Phil reminding me every week for the last few weeks, uh, I have to get the eggnog in. 
I have to get the other one. If we're going to try it for this year, it has to go in by this date. And I was like, wow, um, this really is like planning in advance. And we haven't done anything like that before. So it, it was an interesting point of our fall this year. Oh, I love that. We always plan out cocktails or, you know, what alcohol we're going to get. Um, we've never made anything like that. Um, when you mentioned that to me, I decided to look into the origins of eggnog because frankly, Ooh. it's it's yeah. kind of disgusting, right? Even Who was the egg first to do that? Nog. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. what, where does this come from? Who thought this was a good idea? Well, let me tell you who thought it was a good idea. Okay. As usual, it was monks. Um, it's 13th century. It was medieval monks. They drank mm-hmm. something called posset, which I have heard about so many times when I read historical things, but I never knew what it was. Now I might gag here, a little gag warning, but posset was warm ale, eggs, and figs. Ooh. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. um, All right. Please tell me Phil is not going to make a batch of posset next year. <laughs> um, no, we won't no, add no. figs. And then in the 1600s, <laughs> sherry became the primary ingredient and it mm. became eggnog as we kind of know it today. Uh, and it was a, really only consumed by the aristocracy because of the scarcity of eggs, milk, and sherry. Now, where it really took off, though, as a Christmas staple was in colonial America. And the recipe, the main recipe that circulated around was alcohol free. And you would add your alcohol depending on where you lived in the States. For example, it's whiskey in the South. But rum was the alcohol of choice for most of the Mm. Eastern seaboard because it was rum that would come in from the Caribbean, which was a lot cheaper than shipping Mm. brandy and wine from England. Now, here's where I became very surprised because, again, I just have trouble wrapping my head around how popular an egg drink is. But clearly, there are versions of this from around the world. There is kogel mogel mm. <laughs> in the Jewish communities in Poland. There's eilekor mm-hmm. in Germany and rompop in Mexico and coquito in Puerto Rico. So, yeah, I mean, as a child, I I liked eggnog from our local Becker's like corner store that my dad would get the one liter plastic mm-hmm. jug and we would have it. I've not really had it as an adult. Um, mm-hmm. It kind of grosses me out now, but to know, I guess I'm in the minority because they clearly like it all around the world. <laughs> it is my Christmas drink of choice. Excellent. I love eggnog and I do take mine with brandy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so we've talked about the home, we've talked about being a hostess, and now we will just take it to the reason for the season, holiness. So above and beyond anything else for us as Christians, this is the season that is meant to prepare our hearts and our minds for the birth of Jesus. So ultimately, a clean house and a prepped kitchen, well, these are just the backdrop for the main event, which is Advent. And Advent, if done well, will truly prepare us to receive with pure joy and deep understanding the birth of Jesus, as well as a reverence for Mary and Joseph, the Holy Family. Longtime friend of the podcast, Jenna Gernon, has books for her family to read every day leading up to Christmas. She wraps them every year so that they can be excited to unwrap them and then read them every day. She actually wraps them up as soon as Christmas is over and then packs them right away. So they're ready to go as soon as she opens up her Christmas boxes the following year. And I thought that was such a fun and affordable way to share special stories with our kids as we move closer to Christmas. Now, one of the most wonderful parts of Christmas is gift giving. And I find it funny that we find ourselves saying to our kids that it's not about the gifts when actually a large part of the Christian tradition is about the gifts, which started with the three Mm. gifts given by the Magi to the baby Jesus. And this tradition is part of the story of St. Nicholas and a new favorite of mine, Michelle, Bafana. Mm-hmm. Do you know who Bafana yes. is? Yes. La La Bafana? La, la Bafana. Yes. yes. Okay, go on. Tell us about Bef- La Bafana. Well, she is an Italian old lady who carries a broom and she looks like a witch. Now, the popular folklore is actually so lovely. Now, the short version is that she was cleaning her house and the three wise men stopped by on their way to Bethlehem and asked her for directions, but she did not know the way. She was known as the best housekeeper in town. So she offered that the wise men could stay for a night in her place and rest, and they accepted. They were so thankful for the lovely resting place that she provided, they invited her to accompany them to go meet the baby Jesus. 
but Bafana decided that she had too much housework to do and declined their invitation. After they left, she had a change of heart and decided to do everything she could to find the baby so that she could deliver a gift to him. And so then she started to search all over town and all over Italy with her gifts and her broom. And she set out on Christmas Day and she traveled until Epiphany Eve, which is when we still see her today dropping off gifts for children. So the, the folklore is that she travels around on Epiphany Eve, dropping off gifts to children, hoping that maybe one of those children is the Christ child that she never delivered gifts to uh, that first Christmas. Now, there are some alternate endings where she does end up meeting up with the baby Jesus and giving him gifts. So this idea of La Bafana, you know, this old Italian, almost like Christmas witch type of uh, woman uh, delivering these gifts to children on the eve of Epiphany, I just thought was so awesome. But yeah, again, it drives back this idea that perhaps our holiness, our growing in holiness is tied to gift giving. It uh, it is an Mm -hmm. integral part of the first Christmas. Yes. Yes. And that gift giving, and I've thought about this too over the years, like the idea of gift giving has changed Mm -hmm. for us as a culture, right? But ultimately, when you think about giving a gift, it is a generous sign of your affection for the person. Yeah. That's that's essentially what it is. It's to speak. Yeah. It's to speak of your love for the person or your consideration for the person in a tangible way. And so, you know, when you think about that, it really is. I know we always say it's the thought that counts, (laughs) but it truly is. And it's the generosity behind it that underscores the stories of La Bafana, of the history of St. Nicholas and what Mm -hmm. he did. And truly all the way back to God himself and how he gave us Jesus at Christmas, the ultimate gift. You can't get much more Christian than Jesus being a gift for us, <laughs> if you want to relate gift giving to our our pursuit of holiness. Absolutely. And what you were just saying about the thought that counts, you know, what we can do if we want to really grow in holiness during this season is it's not just about thinking about the person, but pray for them. If you're knitting Mm. them something, or if you're making a handmade gift, or if you're going out of your way to support a local business and buying something and you're lovingly wrapping this gift, pray for that person. Thank God for their life. Thank God for your relationship. Ask special blessings be upon them on the upcoming year. This active gift giving really can be an actual part of our spiritual development during Advent, if we go into it with that intention. And uh, one of the other things so many people said when they chimed in on this discussion on social media was about making Christmas gifts and the people who make things from scratch and um, Mm. how they have to start sometimes in the summer. I rewatched the Tasha Tudor Christmas special, Take Peace, Mm. that you and I both watched last year, (gasps) if you'll recall. Mm-hmm. And you can watch it now for free on the Tubi app. And she said, I don't believe in hurry, which is when she starts making her Christmas gifts back in the summer. <laughs> she mm. really likes to take her time enjoying that process. I'm never going to knit. I don't think it's ever going to happen. I'm never going to learn <laughs> to knit and make people mittens. But I can see how prayerful that act is and how intentional mm-hmm. it can be. Tasha Tudor quoted Ralph Waldo Emerson when she said, the only gift to give is a portion of thyself. And this is the gift we should be preparing, not only for our loved ones, but first and foremost to God. So the title of that Tasha Tudor Christmas special, Take Peace, comes from a piece of writing from Fra Giovanni, who lived in the 15th century. It's a beautiful passage. And from it, we get this quote, take peace. The gloom of the world is but a shadow. Behind it, yet within our reach, is joy. There is radiance and glory and darkness, could we but see. And to see, we have only to look. I beseech you to look." Sure, it's true that Advent is a penitential season, one of great seriousness of fasting and preparation, but there is beauty, joy, and blessing in the very process of preparation. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So, Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? I just finished reading The Tenant of Wildfell Hall by Anne Bronte. And you and I have talked about it a little bit, but I just want to share with everybody else that I 
loved this book. <laughs> I had no idea what to expect. And honestly, I kept putting it off because no one really talks about this book, mm-hmm. um, especially when compared to Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights, the famous novels by Anne Bronte's sisters, Charlotte and Emily. But it was on my list of classics to read. And so I read it, but I didn't just read it. I devoured this book. So it was published mm-hmm. in 1848. The Tenant of Wildfell Hall is about the mysterious new woman and her young son who moved to a very small and gossipy British town. It's assumed that she's a widow at first and everyone wants to meet her and find out her story. A young man named Mr. Markham is particularly entranced by her and just cannot believe the rumors that are starting to circulate about this woman. When we first encounter her, she's bold and prickly and not very friendly, but as a modern day reader, I loved her immediately because she mm. so very courageously defends her style of attachment parenting to the very opinionated busybodies in the town. Um, she was immediately a very different type of Victorian woman. And mm. I could see why this book is considered an early example of feminist literature. Now, I won't spoil the plot, but she finally opens up to Mr. Markham about the circumstances that brought her and her son to Wildfell Hall. And it's a harrowing story. And again, really, really different than anything else that I've read from that era. And I actually have a whole new respect for the Bronte sisters now that I've read all three of their books and have mm-hmm. seen things through their eyes. And then I'll just finish up by saying after after I finished the novel, I watched the 1996 BBC miniseries and it was very, very mm. well done and it's worth watching too. So this book and the woman, the main character, the miniseries, these will all stay with me for a very long time. And I highly recommend The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. Mm, That sounds awesome. I think I've seen that BBC miniseries Mm. pop up a a lot of times, but like you said, I never really heard much about it. Yeah. It's not like Pride and Prejudice or, you know, one of the really mainstream novels from those those eras. So I will definitely take a second look now that I know a little bit more. Oh, and it's perfect for the fall winter. It's exactly Mm. what you'd want to sink into right now. (laughs) Okay. All right. Add it to the list. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) So what have you been loving this week? Well, I have also uh, been reading this past week um, and I'm going to recommend The Mask of the Red Death by Edgar Allan Poe. Have you ever read this short story by him? Not that one. Okay. Yeah, I have never, I've never really heard of this one either. So this is the season, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) The time of year that we will often turn to mysteries or maybe something a little bit more thrilling or on the creepy side. And so obviously we go to Edgar Allan Poe for some Mm -hmm. of these things. Uh, In this story, The Mask of the Red Death, it takes place in an unknown city, but it's currently being ravaged by a plague. Um, it's known as the Red Death. So, I mean, if <laughs> if you can't do this right now, I understand. But yes. <laughs> it's different. It's different, okay? And the story revolves around the region's duke named Prince Prospero, whose solution to the problem is to take 1,000 of his closest friends and advisors and seclude themselves in an abandoned abbey where they can just carry on feasting and partying and ignore the plague outside essentially just trying to wait it out all the other people can deal with it type of thing Mm. and so the whole story the plot really centers around the night that prince prospero decides to host a mask or a masquerade party and you'll have to check it out for yourself if you'd like to know how the story ends but to wrap up i wanted to share a few tips on how to dig a little bit deeper into this story because i like that it's a short story you can do much more, I feel like, with a short story than you could sometimes with a full-length novel. So the first is you can listen to it in audiobook form on YouTube, and this is what I did. Uh, It was only about 15 minutes long, and I listened while I was washing the dishes last week. So I'll link the version of the one I listened to in our show notes, which you can actually find our show notes, by the way, um, in the episode posts that is either linked through our Instagram account I post it on Facebook and you can go to our website if you want to learn more about those notes. Now, I'd also recommend checking out some commentaries on the story 
I listened to one after I read it by a woman named Carrie Hoover, who is an English and film major. And she went into such excellent detail and analysis that it made me love the story even more. And I found the biblical parallels were especially fascinating. And finally, and this is also my next step, is to watch the movie. And what makes the movie sound even better to me is that it is an older film from 1964. It stars Vincent Price. Mm -hmm. And I can't wait to put it on one night as the weather continues to get darker and chillier and just hooga down with this old classic. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or leave us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs, and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray, and you can find me on Instagram at Lindsay Homemaker. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time. The boar's head in hand bear I bedecked with bays and rosemary and I pray you my masters be merry quod est in convivio Caput apri defero, redens laudes domino. The boar's head, as I understand, is the rarest dish in all the land, which thus bedecked with a gay garland, let us servire cantico. Caput apri defero, redens laudes domino. Our steward hath provided this in honour of the King of Bliss, which on this day to be served is in Reginencia Trio. Caput apri de ferro,